righty then. Welcome back for hour number two of Christian Worldview with Dr. Tony Bing. We appreciate you joining us because we're about to crank it up. Yeah, you heard that, didn't you? Crank it up. That's what we're going to do. Uh, I've already told you who I am, what I do, and all that stuff, so we're just going to get into the program here. Um, thanks for listening. By the way, if you're coming in for the second hour and you weren't with us for the first hour, first, shame on you. Where have you been? Uh, I'll expect a note in the mail. Uh, but anyway, we're glad you're here for this hour. Thanks for joining us on Facebook Live as well. Just a quick reminder, uh, his radio talk, 919897, will be ending its talk radio format on March 31st. Gary Miller is retiring, and um, we will – so the show – will go away from here. We're not going to be able to have the program here anymore, but I'm going to have it on a website called drtonybeam.com. That's drtonybeam.com. You'll be able to stream the program live uh, from 7.30 to 8.30, and then it'll become a podcast that you can download for free on all of your smart devices, uh, which I'm sure you've got, smart ta- tablet, smartphone, whatever. Uh, and you can Bluetooth it through your car radio. If you're accustomed to listening to the program on the way to work, you can still do that by just pulling it up on your phone and Bluetoothing it through your car. So uh, anyway, if I can learn how to do all the stuff I'm going to have to do to make this possible, you can learn how to Bluetooth stuff through your car if you want to listen to the program. (laughs) Most people know that already. Uh, But anyway, the website will be up soon. And, um, again, it'll be drtonybeam.com. If you want to write that down, don't go there today because there's nothing there. But soon there will be a website there that's going to look amazing. Richard Rowe is with us. You doing okay? Doing fantastic. Thank you for having me, Tony. It's a pleasure to have you. Tell us who you're with and what you're here for and all that. I could tell them, but I want you to tell them. Absolutely. I'm Richard Rowe, and I represent the uh, Colson Fellows Program. So I'm the director for our upstate cohort that we launched uh, this time last year. Do you know that John Stone Street's coming to Charleston? I do know that, and um, spoiler alert, I'll be in Charleston for that conference, too. Are you coming? Good. So, uh, Excellent. We, well, Colson you, Fellows will have a booth there as a sponsor, so we'll, know, my wife and I are working the booth. Well, that's cool. Well, we'll get to spend some time together then, because, you know, Palmetto Family is, the host, is hosting that event. We're the welcoming committee and all of that. So I can't wait to see John. I haven't seen him in a couple of years. I've so only seen him twice myself. So. Oh, well, good, good. Yeah, he's well, what an amazing guy. But uh, let me tell you a little bit about what we're talking about. Coming up um, a week from Saturday, it's March 18th, the Palmetto Family is having the Vision 2024 conference. And we're going to have an amazing lineup that day. You need to go to palmettofamily.org um, to get your tickets. But what you'll find is we've got our speakers include um, Governor uh, Ambassador Nikki Haley, uh, Senator Tim Scott, two of our very own that are likely both going to be running for president. We know Nikki Haley is. She's already announced. It's probable that Tim Scott is going to announce a run for president coming up later this spring. But we also have Senator John Kennedy from Louisiana. We have Senator Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee. We have Tulsi Gabbard coming all the way from Hawaii. Um, who else do we have? We have uh, uh, Lindsey Graham's going to speak. Uh, uh, South, Carolina, uh, South Carolina Senator Josh Kimbrell is going to be there to welcome folks at the beginning of the day. Um, trying to think i don't have it right in front of me i know we've got some others that are on the schedule the and i can't pronounce this guy's name can you the the guy that's running for president that just jumped in the race vivette 
Is that his, his first name? I'd never you heard of it. You didn't send that over as a question for me to be prepared yeah. to answer. Yeah. So, yeah. no, I, was, I can't pronounce it. I, I was thinking you would come in prepared. I can't believe it. Exactly. Just, just kidding. But anyway, he's going to be there. He's So we've got two announced presidential candidates that are going to be speaking. And uh, we're, we have fingers crossed uh, for Ron DeSantis. We're working on it. He hasn't – all I can tell you is he hasn't said no yet. Neither has he said yes. But we may be able to, and we understand if he comes, we're going to have to probably auction off tickets that are left. But you can get a ticket now if you go to Palmetto Family's website and you can sign up and be with us. And then the, the SoconCon conference is going to be on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday that week down in Charleston. And John Stone Street's going to be speaking. It's focused on the family. Jim Daly will be there. Um, the Family Policy Council's of America are coming to Charleston, and a lot of Family Policy Council leaders will be there, and Palmetto Family is honored to be able to welcome them. Okay, that, that is the conference I'm working Yes. At, actually. That's That'll where the conference will work. That's where Richard will be, and uh, so, again, looking forward to seeing you down there. But let's talk a little bit about uh, the Colson Center and about um, the opportunity that people have to go through an incredible amount of information and training uh, that can really help them to be better prepared for the culture that we live in today. Yeah, well, first of all, Tony, thanks for letting me come back on. I think you had us on three times as we launched last year, and um, it was just an incredible launch and reception in the upstate. And um, thanks to you guys, we, we landed several just fantastic Colson Fellows in training that uh, will be commissioned at the 1st of May. So we actually launched with uh, 25 people, and we'll commission 24 of those um, here in the next two months. So it's been fantastic. It's a great, been just a great rollout and uh, been very well received. Uh, we have a strong leadership team that's put the word out as well, but uh, you guys have just been an effective reach for us. So I'm really excited about joining in the uh, DrTonyBeamShow.com next month and yeah. probably again in um, May. So yeah. I'll send you over my availability. Oh, thanks. I, I would enjoy that very much. Uh, tell everybody what kind of information. Now, it's the program is every Saturday, right? Well, we, we meet in person one Saturday a month. Once the majority a month. Okay. of the work is all virtual. That's right. um, we have a uh, program called Path Right that you work through your daily devotions. Um, there's a lot of reading that we do. And then there's also webinars that are put on by the Colson Center that you attend each month. So it is somewhat a work at your own pace, uh, but there is kind of deadlines to hit throughout the program. Right. So it, it's, it is virtual. Then we meet together as a cohort one Saturday a month. From 9 to about 1.30, we're meeting at Fellowship Greenville. And that's just a time of collaboration, a time for us to talk about what we're learning, what we're challenged by, how we're going to apply it in our lives, and then work together in small groups to how is God using you in this cultural moment? What are you going to do with this information that you've spent the last eight months acquiring? So at mm -hmm. the end of it, to be commissioned, everyone comes up with a personal mission plan. And that plan is to say, what am I going to do to impact culture. It's a plan that we hold loose, but it is a plan to say, hey, what, what am I going to do? What have I been redeemed for? And how am I going to go about that work in the world today? And that commissioning, you, you would become what's known as a Colson Fellow. That's right? correct. Well, that is so much in the tradition and the history of Chuck Colson. That was his vision. That's what he wanted to see. 
uh, for most of the about half of his life. Uh, he really leaned into trying to get people to embrace a Christian worldview and then to live that out in the culture so that society becomes better. And so I'm I'm excited about this. So do you have space left, or is it full? We do. We've just started opening. Uh, the first of the year, they officially opened up the application process. So um, we're going to take as many people as we can handle. Um, the, the applications are open, so you can go to colsonfellows.org and get more information. You can also um, apply there as well. There is an application process. Um, you're also welcome to visit our cohort. We have a meeting this Saturday at Fellowship Greenville at 9 a.m., We'll meet again on April 15th as well, but it's always open for people to come check it out. I'm always available for a phone call, but I can tell you just uh, listening to your show on the way over and the topics that are covered here every day, we're struggling. We're struggling we as a Christian community, as a church, to embrace the culture around us, um, not, not to win arguments, but to advance the gospel because we spend so much time on cultural topics. We're, we're not talking about the main thing. Right. And the reason we're stuck is because we got so much disagreement and I just don't know as believers we understand the, the best way to articulate the truth. We know the truth. We're struggling with how to articulate it. So yeah. one thing you'll walk away from Colson Fellows with is the ability to engage, and, and most importantly to me, the ability to ask great questions of others that really leave them thinking about what they perceive as truth. Right. You're armed with the truth, but sometimes just getting that engagement to get the other person to open up is an investment of time, but but is your time's no good if you don't have the right resource and the right tact as well that presents the truth in grace and love. You know, um, I, I, I think one of the things that people are dealing with today is the speed at which these issues are coming straight at them. I mean, it's almost like, you know, photon torpedoes and phasers and you don't have a force field. I mean, it's a, uh, things coming so fast and you need the confidence it, when you when you're knowledgeable, uh, when you're grounded well in the word, it you don't panic. You That's right. you can you can think. You've been uh, studying about the issues, and you have a response that um, is filled with grace, but also is full of truth. That is the truth. And so I think that's very necessary in our culture today, more than ever before this program is necessary. Tell everybody again what they need to do to participate when it starts. Yep. So we'll officially kick off in July. Um, you've got plenty of time to explore the program. Go to www.colsonfellows.org. Uh, you can also reach out uh, to me as well via Tony. Um, he and I are well connected in this, yep. but uh, we'd love to have you come check it out. We've got all ages, men, women in the group, uh, people that are just trying to figure out as a near retirement, what is God doing in my life? How is he going to use me in that next stage? Which is exciting to hear people as they work through that. You've got um, young parents in there who are just trying to get a handle on all these cultural things so they can walk their children through this as they grow up in a, in a culture that definitely has gone mad, but uh, preparing their children to walk walk well with it. Right. And young people are welcome, too, like me. I mean, you know, there's a lot of people 100%. nearing retirement, but but young guys, too. can. Yeah, 100%. Us, us young guys, we can we can participate. All right. Thanks, Richard. I appreciate you having me. Always great today. to be here. Always my pleasure. Bye. By the way, um, you know, the movie, The Jesus Revolution, has been a big hit. And that's a, that's a good thing because it is so well done. So I'm going to brag on it once again. If you haven't seen it, you need to go see it this weekend. It's just, 
you'll really enjoy it. I mean, it, it, the story is so compelling, and they do it without exploiting a lot. I mean, there's no uh, – they depict – the, the dangers of drugs and alcohol and the destruction it brings without it being, you know, uh, sensationalized. I, I just really appreciate the movie. And it's been in the top five since it's been released, uh, made well over $30 million. And that's pretty good for for this movie. So we're looking forward to be, be a person that goes and sees it if you get a chance this weekend. All right. Uh, takeaways from the House COVID-19 panel investigation. Um, this is, of course, the COVID-19 is the investigation centers around where the virus came from. And I want to I give you some takeaways from yesterday's hearing. And the first thing that we need to understand is that there really is no doubt that U.S. tax dollars fun- funded gain-of-function research. You know, I, we owe a debt of gratitude um, to those in the Senate who have been faithful to hold Anthony Fauci accountable by asking him hard questions about gain of function. Because if if it had not been for that, I don't think this whole issue of where the virus actually came from would have stayed enough on the front burner for these investigations to continue. And now you got the Department of Energy along with the FBI. Uh, Christopher Wray, the leader of the FBI, director of the FBI, I should say, is definitely saying that the virus came from a lab in Wuhan. It didn't come from a bat. It didn't come from the wet market. It didn't. And of course, I could be kicked off of social media uh, a year ago for just saying that that the virus came from a laboratory because that was the big deal. It was, uh, for, for whatever reason, um, there, there had to be a cover-up launched. And I really think that there are two reasons for the cover-up. I mean, the fact that we've, we're just now getting to the truth. And the first reason is what I just talked about, the, the use of U.S. tax dollars to fund gain-of-function research. Because gain of function simply means you take a virus and you intentionally mutate it to see what kind of virus it could become and then to be able to research it to maybe prepare for that virus should it mutate into the form that you push it into. And gain of function is very controversial. Why? Well, because when you start messing around with a virus and pushing its limits and trying to turn it into something else that's more contagious, that's more deadly, um, in order to study it so that you can be prepared for it, should it? I mean, is, is any bad thing, could any bad thing come from that? Well, yeah, uh, it can get out, which evidently is what happens. So gain of function research is not something that the United States has has said that they would engage in and Anthony Fauci has said over and over and over that NIH was not involved in gain of function research and that seems to be not the case. Yesterday the key witness was Dr. Robert Redfield who is director of the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention in the Trump administration when the pandemic emerged, Redfield was among the earliest government officials to say the virus likely came from the Wuhan lab. And then he got slapped down. Representative Nicole Malatakis, Republican of New York, brought up the fact that Fauci testified under oath during a Senate hearing in 2021 
under questioning from Senator Rand Paul that there was no U.S. funding for gain-of-function research in China. Um, and then the question, do you think that Dr. Fauci intentionally lied under oath to Senator Paul when he vehemently denied NIH's funding of gain-of-function research? Redfield responded, I think there is no doubt NIH was funding gain-of-function research. I, 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 wanna, I just want to let that sink in for a second. Because, again, you know, I take no pleasure or joy in the fact that people are losing confidence in what the government says. Because in a constitutional republic, it's incredibly important that we trust our institutions. And we can't trust them if they lie to us. And we have been, the American people have been lied to about gain-of-function research. It, I, I don't think that's even debatable anymore. There's too much evidence that points directly to it. The former CDC director didn't address whether Fauci was truthful. I wouldn't have either. I, I don't, I understand why the question was pressed the way it was, but, I, you know, I think the way that, that uh, CDC director answered was right. Just comment on the underlying fact. What is that fact? That gain-of-function research was being done at Wuhan, funded by NIH. That's American taxpayer dollars. So anyway, anyway, let me back up a second. That's the number one reason that I think there was a cover-up, because people really, you, you've got Fauci as the face of COVID. And, they, they, you know, the government didn't want this to be out, that it could be that the face of COVID was actually the hands of COVID that allowed, that it contributed to the gain-of-function research that, that made the COVID-19 virus that somehow got out of the lab in Wuhan. The second reason I think they've covered it up is because already our relationships with China uh, is very strained. And I don't. I think they did not want the Chinese government to be blamed for this. They didn't want the the focus and of of the virus to be placed on China because they felt like China would respond poorly. And they were trying to get information from China about the virus, and they didn't think that it was going to be helpful if they accused the Chinese government uh, or which is the way this would be perceived, even if they didn't directly accuse the government. If it, if it came out of the Wuhan lab, anything related to China, they were going to deny, and it was going to cause tension. So I think to, in some vain attempt to maintain good relations with China, which, you, again, if you vice never leads to virtue. I, I say that all the time. But simply... Things that are not right and true do not birth things that are right and true. And so you, even if you think you're doing somebody a favor, just like Fauci running around telling everybody that masks really wouldn't help to start with, and, and then admitted the reason that he was saying that after he changed his story was that so people wouldn't go out and buy up all the masks that the medical personnel needed. And then we find out in the end that he was right the first time, that masks really won't do anything which 
you know, I figured that out pretty soon. I mean, I felt so stupid. I'm riding around in my car, you know, I'm getting to a place and I've oh, I got to put a mask on. So I open up the console and I, I you know, I pull the cert off of the mask that's kind of gotten stuck on there because it's been down the con and I put it on, you know, I've got my sterile mask on now that I had to pull stuck candy off of. And now I'm going to go in and I'm protecting myself from COVID. Come on. Yeah, if you put on a sterile mask every time you have an encounter, but you, maybe that's going to help you a little bit. But who walks around with a box of masks in their pocket, and every, every time they have an encounter, you, you, you need to put your gloves on, and then you would you'd take your mask off, put on a fresh mask, take those gloves, put them with the old mask, discard them, and have your gloves in one pocket and your mask in the other pocket— Maybe that would make a difference, but that's not what we did. Most people did what I did. And so we start out with masks don't work, then masks are required, and then we find out that masks don't work. And that's why nobody believes the government. So these cover-ups end up taking a lot out of the American people. Um, Let's see. Is this back? Yeah, Redfield said, I think it did. Redfield responded to the question, is it likely American tax dollars funded the gain-of-function research that created this virus? Redfield said yes, but that the NIH wasn't the only factor. I think it did, not only from the NIH, but, wait for it, the State Department, from USAID, and from the DOD. Now, I, I don't know about you, but there should have been this, this bomb go off in the chamber yesterday when he said— that the, if this is true, the Department of Defense and the State Department were also sending money to a lab in the Department of Defense for what purpose? I mean, was this was this a weaponization program? You know, we've we've we were hearing it was everybody who says, yeah, it came out of a lab, but it wasn't a weapons weapons program. It wasn't a Chinese weapons program. Don't get concerned. Then what in the world's the Department of Defense sending money over there? For gain-of-function research. You you know, what what does the United States military do? They kill people and they break things. You don't you, you don't send money to gain-of-function research because you're interested in the science, not if you're at the Department of Defense. People need to think. I mean, I, I think that needs to be thought through. Um, another point, Winstrup asked, how gain-of-function research created any life-saving vaccines or therapeutics to your knowledge? Redfield said, not to my knowledge. Subcommittee chairman then asked, has gain-of-function research stopped a pandemic, in your uh, opinion? Redfield, no. On the contrary, I think it probably caused the greatest pandemic our world has ever seen. (laughs) Drop the microphone! Folks, look, we don't need to get frustrated about this. We don't need to give up. We don't need to be disheartened, downhearted, downcast, whatever you want to call it. We just simply need to put our brains back in gear, understand what really happened, and hold people accountable so that it doesn't happen again. We keep going down this same road because we don't put up any roadblocks. Noah, read that. Noah just showed me a – he looked up something online here. Is this USC? Yes. I I took this picture off my computer or one of the surveys I was taking for – I don't remember exactly which one, but – Please select the identity that you identify with the most. First, male. Second, female. 
than gender fluid, gender non-conforming, intersex, transgender, other, or prefer not to answer. Oh my god. Or goodness. Batman? How about Batman? Well, no, no, no. I, I, Chuck Norris. I, that's what I'd write in. I prefer to identify as Chuck Norris. And if you don't like it, then you're the one that has a problem. Jack so, Bauer. Either yeah. One. Yeah. Could be Jack Bauer. Could be Lehman Neeson in all the Taken movies. Man, what a guy. Um, so, or Clint, Clint Eastwood. I love Clint Eastwood movies. Um, all right. Great music. Mylon Lefevre. You know, he's 78 years old. That's just unbelievable to me. The guy used to rock. I mean, we went to, I've talked about this before on the show, but went to concerts and they would be sold out and he would, they would come out and rock the house and then he'd make everybody leave the stage and he'd get a Bible that looked like it had been run over by a transfer truck, open it up, and I mean preach like he meant it because he did. So it was so good. Ah, those were great days. That's been a long time ago. You don't know who Mylon Lefe- Lefebvre is, do you? I do not. It's okay. You're, <laughs> you're, you're very young. You need to check him out because you'd actually like his music. I think. Uh, the Mylon- op- the opening theme song in the second yeah. hour is Mylon, That's Mylon Lefebvre. Lefebvre. Crank it up. Okay. That's right. Mylon Lefebvre and Broken Heart. Um, I think my favorite. One of my my favorite was well, Trains Up in the Sky. I really like. Uh, but Crack the Crack sky. the Sky. That's a great song. That's a I used to jump up and down in the fifth row when that song was on because it's about the second coming of Jesus, asking people to get ready. Um, all right, let's go back to the Daily Signal article that we were looking at from Fred Lucas talking about the House panel hearing yesterday on COVID-19. Uh, there were three things that happened in the lab that, in Wuhan. Uh, Representative Debbie Lesko Republican of Arizona asked Redfield, do you believe that we can have certainty that the virus did come from the Wuhan lab and that U.S. funding was was not used? Uh, again, Redfield responded that the public can read recently unclassified information that shows those in charge of the Wuhan on lab engaged in unusual conduct. So what kind of unusual conduct are we talking about? Three things that they did in the lab, Redfield said, that were not in keeping with the best practices of doing any kind of research regarding a virus. One is they deleted the sequences, he said, referring to sequencing a laboratory technique used to determine the exact order of the nucleotide bases, which compose individual individual genomes. So there, when, when you delete sequencing information— you're covering up experiments. You're, you're trying to not allow people to know when, who, who come behind you what's actually been done. And he said that's highly irregular. Researchers usually don't like to do that. Well, of course not, because if you're doing research, you want your discoveries to be replicated so you don't delete important information that would then be used to um, follow up for other researchers to learn from and then do go further than your research. Um, the second thing they did is they changed command and control of the lab from civilian control to military control. Highly unusual. See, I, I'm not. I'm going to speculate here. Okay. I want you to understand, I always tell you on this program when I'm departing from things that I know for sure and I'm speculating, but it is a huge red flag to me that 
it's confirmed now that this program eventually came under military con- control. Uh, I hear all these voices, including um, uh, Director Ray of the FBI and others who are insisting that this was not weaponized in any way. This was not the Chinese government weaponizing this virus. And I'm willing now for the for the time being, because we don't have conclusive information or even enough information to start down that trail. But I think we should look at the fact that if the Chinese military stepped in and took over, why? What, what, for what reason? What reason do they have? In the same way that the Department of Defense of the United States was not sending money to Wuhan to, uh, for the research purposes, for scientific purposes necessarily, because, what, again, what does the United States military do? They kill people, people and they break things. That's what they're supposed to do. They're the military. So this is, it, what is the Chinese military doing when they step in? There has to be a military motivation, I would think, for that to happen. So we need to ask the question. We need people need to begin to speculate a little bit. What does that mean? It 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 appears a little squirrely if you've got the Chinese military engaged and you're not talking about military purposes. Then the third thing they did, I think is really telling, is they let a contractor redo the ventilation system in the laboratory. So I think clearly there's strong evidence that a significant event happened in that laboratory in September. It has now been declassified. You can read it. Yeah. You don't go in. What? You go in and completely redo the ventilation system? On top of that, you've got people that worked in the library that got sick. Now, they're not going to, they won't come out and say that they were sick with COVID, but just that they were having medical issues. And, and, and from, in the time span, from September to December. So this all would have been, what, 2019? Yeah, because it was 2020 that everything kind of came out and started in January. Uh, we started hearing more and more about COVID. But this is, all this is going on in the months leading up to that. And it all points to the virus getting out, somehow leaking out. We don't know how. Could have been a one of the uh, the workers that got sick. That then the virus began to spread. It could be it could be anything. Um, there are those who say that we will never know for sure, because without the cooperation of the Chinese government, uh, there's only so far that we can get to the truth. And that it would take intelligence agents, it would take, you know, people working undercover or people who have access to information from an intelligence standpoint, not from a scientific standpoint, to determine what the actual origin turns out to be. All right, number four on the list here from Daily Signal, which is part of the Heritage Foundation, by the way, um, and, and the takeaways from yesterday's hearing on COVID-19, Representative Jamie Raskin, a Democrat from Maryland, ranking member of the full House Oversight Committee, argued that regardless of the origins of the pandemic, it happened on former Donald Trump's, uh, President Donald Trump's watch. See, it's, it's got to be, it's got to be Trump's fault. Can't be Biden's fault. Can't be the Democrats' fault. January 6th is the worst event that has happened in human history since the Civil War. That narrative cannot be assailed. The fact that that COVID nineteen happened on Donald Trump's watch, he must be somehow in 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 charge. He he probably went over there. He was hiding out in Wuhan. He was probably in that wet market. 
carrying bats around, letting them fly loose. I mean, this this stuff drives me crazy. Let them. It, this is not President Trump's fault. Whatever the origins, whether it's bats or bureaucrats. Now I gotta I gotta admit that's pretty cool. Bats or bureaucrats. I'm going to remember that. No finding will ever exonerate or rehabilitate Donald Trump for his lethal recklessness. What, what is the purpose of this hearing? For Republicans, it's to discover something kind of important. Like, where did this virus come from? What is the purpose of this hearing for progressives and Democrats? To find a way to paint Donald Trump in a negative way. I mean, it, this is so obvious. I think the American people can figure this out. People on both sides, Democrats, Republicans, they should be concerned about finding the truth about where the virus came from. Why? Well, because, like, we don't want to go through this again. We'd like to be able to stop this from happening. And one of the key elements of that is making sure that we know how it happened in the first place. No, for Democrats, one of the key elements is being sure you blame the right person. The Maryland Democrat, a harsh Trump critic, (laughs) really? led House case managers during Trump's second Senate impeachment trial. He also voted against certifying Trump's 2016 victory over Democrat Hillary Clinton. (gasps) A Democrat voted not to certify the 2016 election. I thought only Republicans voted to not certify elections. How are we just finding this? Oh, no, no, we did know about this. It's only people that pay attention for the last 10 minutes that think that Republicans are the only ones that had a, had a problem with the election. There were plenty of Democrats who didn't want to certify the election when President Trump beat Hillary Clinton. So that, there's something we're finding out. Indeed, if COVID was the product of a lab leak or the worst bioweapon of mass destruction ever invented, as some have argued, and obviously we don't have the scientific evidence to say any of this yet, it would not only remove Donald Trump's culpability, it would only uh, not remove, I should say, Donald Trump's culpability, it would only deepen his culpability in the most profound way, Raskin said. This is, this is unbelievable that these people, Donald Trump is in their head. He lives inside their brains. He knocks around in there all the time. They can't help themselves. You know what? I bet they're having family dinner, and and one of them will say, pass the Donald Trump. Oh, I'm sorry, pass the potatoes, because they can't get him out. They need an exorcism. We need to get a Catholic priest in here, and we need to have an exorcism, and, and get rid of Donald Trump out of the brains of progressives. <sighs> All right, number five, a bunch of yokels are eating bats. <laughs> I can't imagine what this is about here. The lone witness called by the panel's Democrats. Oh, oh, now I get it. That makes perfect sense. This is a Democrat witness. Dr. Paul G. Awarder clinical director for the Division of Infectious Diseases at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine stuck to his guns. Quote, I think it is more likely at the moment, just based on my reading, a zoonotic, uh, that 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 is an animal-based virus, he said, is the the problem here. Yeah, what? I mean, every day there's more information coming out pointing to the virus coming from a laboratory. What, what is this? Based on his reading, 
Did he stop reading about six months ago? Maybe maybe eight months ago? Maybe just 30 minutes ago? I mean, all of this has been coming out in the last several months. Investigators have been shifting their understanding of what happened. Based on what? Based on speculation? Nope. Based on the facts. Investigations that are being completed. You know, the Department of Energy, somebody asked me, why in the world would the Department of Energy have an opinion on Well, they have labs and um, influence and, and feelers out all over the world. And so they're very qualified to talk about things that are going on in China, and in particularly in the Wuhan lab. Representative Debbie Dingle, I just like saying her name, Debbie Dingle. What's that, Debbie Dinglehopper? John Jacob Dinglehopper Smith or something? Andy Griffith Show? Okay. Don't know what that's got to do with Debbie Dingle. It just makes me think of that when I say her name. She's a Democrat from Michigan. Uh, she asked, is it normal for different agencies within the intelligence community to make different assessments of one origin theory over the other? Uh, the answer, very few things we know for certain. I understand just reading the newspapers that the CIA hasn't made any determination. Others have come to different levels of inclusion. So it seems to me there's a difference of opinion. Okay, so they can't make up their mind. Is it Trump's fault or does nobody know? Because can I just tell you, it can't be both at the same time. If we don't know, then what are we doing blaming Donald Trump for the whole thing? But if we do know, then we know. So how are we saying that we don't know yet? How convoluted is that? Does anybody wonder why there needs to be truth in politics and culture? I mean, the normal American person can sit down and read this or hear it or watch it and scratch their head and go, do you think we're that stupid? And, and folks, honestly, I think they do. I think, I think progressives count on the fact that most Americans are out going to work every day, taking care of their families, taking care of business. Can we get a little uh, taking care of business over here? No, no, okay. Um, anyway, uh, t taking care of their business every day, just doing what Americans do, and they don't sit in front of a television and absorb information every day. Now, it's becoming more and more important that we do because we're being lied to by the government. If, if the government was being truthful, if we were getting accurate information, if we had a press corps, which we're going to have when Noah gets there, if we had journalists that were that had integrity that were just simply reporting the facts, yeah, we could say, okay, we're going we're going to take the family on a picnic today. We're not going to think that the world's going to come apart while we're gone. But we can't do that in an environment where we're being lied to. We have to have a level of personal competence when it comes to being knowledgeable about what's going on in the world. If not, we can be lied to and not have a clue. We'll just be susceptible to the last thing that we heard. Please, please, please don't be what I call a headline reader and a soundbite listener. You've got to get beyond the headlines. You've got to go beyond the soundbite. You've got to research for yourself. You've got to spend some time. Pick some podcasts. Pick some websites. Be informed so that when people come along and say stuff like this, you can go, no, nah, that's not right. I'm, that, that, they're not giving me the truth, uh, anything like it. This is, I mean, we, we have to be prepared for that. And, and I'm going to take a few minutes here wrapping up the show today and, and talk about, again, 
why keep doing this? I mean, I've been doing this for 21 years. Gary's retiring. Why don't I just retire, you know, and just stop doing this? Because it is more important today than it has ever been to have somebody and and look, I'm I'm not touting myself as the fountain of all knowledge, but I am somebody who's read a lot in my life, studied a lot in my life, and I continue to do that. And what I think is necessary is to do what I'm going to do, which is to speak about truth and politics and culture, because of the, those those are two things that affect each other. And we need guidance. We need to be looking at the right sources, listening to the truth. And there is such a thing as truth. Truth is what is corresponds with the facts, okay? That's a really rudimentary definition. You could get philosophically into the hedgerow here, talking about what is truth. Uh, I mean, that's what Pilate asked Jesus, which was kind of ironic, since he was standing there in front of the truth, asking the truth, what is truth? But, we, you know, truth corresponds with the facts, that which corresponds with the facts. That's what makes truth truth. We, we need that, particularly in politics and culture, because we're all going to live in the culture created by the political environment that we go out and elect. Our culture is shaped now by politics, and in the same regard, culture is shaping our politics. Culture is also shaping our education system. It's shaping our science, what we believe about science. And, and those things should be based on objectivity instead of being shaped by philosophies being generated by the culture. So if we're all going to live together, we've got to have a modicum of truth. And that's why when this program ends on the radio on March 31st and you start hearing music, which will be, it'll be good. I mean, it, we, we need music, believe me. Um, when I leave here today, I'll be listening to music for a while before I switch over to podcast or book or something. But, um, you know, we, we also need the truth. And uh, you'll be able to get it if you go to, to drtonybeam.com, drtonybeam.com. Uh, I'll be, again, streaming live 7.30 to 8.30, Monday through Friday. You can listen to it on the website. You can. I think I'm going to be on Rumble. Uh, I've decided YouTube would kick me off in 10 minutes, so I'm just going to go ahead and start with Rumble. Uh, we'll still be on Facebook Live. Facebook's been very, very good to me and allowed me to stay on. Um, so we'll be there, and we'll be on the website, and then we'll have the podcast that you can download for free. It'll be free. You don't have to pay anything for it. The best things in life are free, including me. So you can download the podcast, listen to it on your smartphone, your smart device, stream it through your car uh, radio. Uh, let's stay connected. Uh, it's going to be very, more and more important as we go forward. All right. Have a good day. Noah, thanks. It's Thank good to you. have you here today. Noah will be back tomorrow, and I'm going to bring him in, and we're going to be talking to him more on tomorrow's show. So hope you'll join us.